Welcome to Black Music Matters. This is being recorded on June 7, 2023. Forty years ago today, President Jimmy Carter decreed that June would be Black Music Month. Years later, President Barack Obama renamed it African American Music Appreciation Month, a bit more accurate because the month was not meant to honor all black music, but that created in America. Many of the previous Black Music Matters podcasts were concerned with how black recording artists were hurt by racism and the segregated practices of the white male-dominated recording industry. Well, black songwriters were also held back by the same racist and segregated practices. Now, before we look at just how the music industry harmed black songwriters, it would help to first look at just how songwriters are supposed to profit from their creations. When writers create songs, they naturally own their songs. To protect their right of ownership, it is best to register their songs with the U.S. Copyright Office. But in addition to copyright registration often being too difficult and too costly for many black songwriters, the knowledge that they would most likely get cheated of their proper royalties anyway had many figure it was better to just grab the cash sell their songs outright, which meant no matter how big a hit the song might be, there would be no more financial gain for them. But either keeping all rights to a song or selling all rights are not the only options for songwriters. There was a third option, selling away half their rights to a music publisher, which then became in charge of promoting the song, collecting money the song made, And the publisher would also be in charge of giving out permission to those who wanted to use the song. And that permission was granted in the form of a music license. And there are different types of music licenses, and here are just three. There is a mechanical license, which is needed in order to make a copy of a song with the intent to distribute to the public, whether it be in the form of a record, a tape, a CD, a digital copy that can be purchased or streamed through services like iTunes and Spotify. A mechanical license is needed even if someone intends to make copies to give away without charge. Now, mechanical rights are needed for audio-only projects. But if you want to use a song in a video project, a DVD, a movie, a television show, a commercial, or YouTube, even a slideshow, then you need a different type of license. You need a synchronization license to join the audio and the video together. That goes no matter how small a portion of a song is going to be used. There are no exceptions. There's no eight bars or just 15 seconds. You still need that license. And there are also performance rights, which are needed whenever a song is publicly performed or broadcast like on the radio or television, uh, on websites, podcasts, played in clubs or other large public spaces, anything that goes out to the public. What a lot to keep track of. And so performing rights organizations were formed, PROs, formed to monitor public performance and collect the royalties. Both music publishers and songwriters can join. 
Naturally, songwriters learned that they had a better chance of getting proper royalties if they signed up with a public rights performance organization because then the songwriters would get the same quarterly statements that their publishers got so they could see what was really owed to them. There are several PROs. Two of the largest are BMI and ASCAP. From 1914 to 1939, the only PRO songwriters in the United States could join was ASCAP, the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers. But ASCAP was only interested in representing the whitest of music. Broadway tunes, classical music, pop music, big bands, old standards, novelty songs. The rest, the blues, rhythm of blues, rock and roll, well, they considered it all junk music. So nearly all black writers and those who published their music could not benefit from the important services that ASCAP provided. During the first 25 years from its creation, ASCAP had 170 members, but they did have uh, six black members. One of the six was Duke Ellington, who it is believed only gained admission because his white manager took co-writer credit for much of Ellington's compositions. That's the way it was until 1939 when a competing public rights organization was formed, BMI, Broadcast Music Incorporated. BMI became the first performing rights organization in the United States to represent songwriters of the blues, jazz, rhythm and blues, gospel, and rock and roll finally giving writers of black music genres and publishers of black music the same form of protection white writers had been enjoying for years. Still, there are many ways to cheat songwriters, and so the expertise of a lawyer is often needed. Studies have shown that people whose social position near the bottom of an unequal structure will be less likely to take legal action or even seek legal advice. In addition to that, entertainment lawyers are expensive. During a discussion with songwriter Rosemary McCoy, the name of a certain white music publisher came up. He was well known for cheating just about anyone he had business with. Rose told me lawyers would plead with her to sue this man, but she never did. When asked why, she replied, I didn't want to get that kind of reputation. I thought that strange, since at the time, as a songwriter, she was highly sought after, and suing a known cheat would not have hurt her. But then how could I understand her thinking, her fear of going to a lawyer to get justice? For I didn't grow up where she did, near Lorraine, Arkansas, where a group of black sharecroppers hired a lawyer to help them form a union. That led to the Lorraine Massacre, taking a legal action against the white landowners was such a daring action, and it led to well over 100 sharecroppers losing their lives. There was one financial advantage that black songwriters had over black recording artists, especially in the 1950s when so many white artists were making cover records of songs that were already recorded by black artists. Even when the white cover records were horrible, they would get more radio play, which helped record sales. 
the original black artists received royalties for only the records they sold, but the songwriters received royalties from all records sold, no matter who recorded the song. In addition to June being African American Music Appreciation Month, it's also the month the Songwriters Hall of Fame has chosen to honor its newest inductees at the organization's annual fundraising gala. So right now, there's another June podcast in the works. It will feature a letter I am composing to the Songwriters Hall of Fame suggesting they address their racist past and start acknowledging the many well-qualified black songwriters they have for decades overlooked. I will also suggest to them that they change their name from the Songwriters Hall of Fame to the SWSWS Hall of Fame. Singers who sometimes write songs Hall of Fame, for that's what it looks like they have become. If there is anything you would like to let me know, any comments you'd like to make about these podcasts, you can reach me at writeonrose at gmail.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-O-N-R-O-S-E at gmail.com. So till we meet again, be well, be happy, And hopefully you have the opportunity to listen to some music every day.